0: All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. Turn to the book of Galatians, and then after you get to Galatians, go on over to um, the book of James, chapter 5, and and we'll head over there in just a couple of minutes. But first of all, find Galatians, chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse number 19. And in the book of James, we're going to start reading in verse 7 of chapter 5. So let's go to Galatians 5, and verse number 19. And if you don't mind this morning, I know you just sat down, um, but if you don't mind, let's just stand, and because this is going to be about an hour sermon, and so let's just stand and let's give attention in reverence to the reading of God's Word. <laughs> Some of y'all are already looking for the exit, aren't you? All right. All right, verse number 19 of Galatians chapter 5. All right. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things, there is no law or there are no limits to these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord, and if you are glad about that, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I think we'll all agree with this statement um, that all people, unless you're just totally psychotic, all people believe in sin. And the problem with this, even though that's a good thing that most people believe in sin, um, the problem is, is usually. We don't put ourselves in that category. We, we think, well, other people sin, but not me, or somebody needs this sermon, but not me. So that's one problem. The, the other problem is, is that whenever we think of sin, we usually think of something that's external. We think, think of something that's outside, um, like murder or, or impure behavior, something like that. But whenever you read the Word of God over and over and over again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Bible teaches us that sin or the essence of sin, the origin of sin, is the heart of man. It's nothing on the outside. It's not some mysterious uh, external force out here that just jumps on us every now and then. No, sin begins in the heart of man. It begins in the mind of man. Jesus taught us this. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, Jesus taught us this. He said, and from the heart, or from within the heart, comes murder, sexual immorality, envy, strife, slander, and gossip. And so Jesus identifies the source of sin as the heart of man. Then you go over to James chapter 4 and verse 1. And this is a church that is um, struggling. They're, they're probably under persecution. They're in the pressure cooker of life. They're under a lot of trials um, as believers in Jesus Christ. And what happened was, is they begin to infight. They had pressure from without, and they begin to, because of the pressure and stress, they begin to infight. And James writes this to him, and he asks him a question. He says, "Where do the where do fights and quarrels come from? Why do you have these quarrels and fights and these fusses? And then he says something very profound. He said, do they not come from the passions or desires from within you? And what James is saying, is identifying where sin comes from. It comes from the passions and the desires of the heart. And then when you get to Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul, starting in verse 19, gives us a whole list of bad things. And then when you drop down to verse 24, he identifies where these things come from. He says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those two words, passions and desires, points us to the origin or to the place where sin starts, and that is the heart. And so what Paul is teaching us is the undercurrent. Now, listen to this the undercurrent of outward sin is pride, it's envy, and it's also impatience. Did you get that, church? It's pride, it's envy, and it's also impatience. Let me ask you something this morning. What is murder? I know it's when you take someone's life, but that's the outward manifestation. What is murder? Do you know what murder is? It's impatience that is fed and fed and fed and fed and fed. Do you, do you know what? Do you know, what is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is impatience and lust that is just fed and fed and fed and fed. And so if, if patience and impatience is, is that important, you know, then we need to look into this. But before we do that, let me just say something. Impatience. Um, isn't just marital strife. Are, are you with me thus far? Uh, I know y'all stayed up to about 1 or 2 o'clock shooting off fireworks because I think I heard them last night when I was trying to go to sleep. It, it's, listen, it, it's beyond marital strife. It's beyond waiting in line. It's, be, it's beyond road rage. Impatience is beyond Christmas time on Woodruff Road. It's beyond any time on Woodruff Road. Amen. I mean, I mean, impatience is beyond all of those things. It's beyond sitting through a long sermon. This is what impatience is. Impatience is impatience with God. Now, I didn't say that. Another pastor, theologian, said that. I'm just plagiarizing this morning. He made a statement. This pastor made a statement. He said, impatience is really impatience with God. And you know what? I resisted that. I thought, man, no, no way you can lump all impatience in. But you know, the more I thought about it, the more I meditated on it, I think the dude's right. And I think it's borne out in the Word of God that impatience is impatience with God. And so if it's that important, what I want us to do this morning is a couple things. Now, you have your sermon notes on your devices. I think Angela sent those out this week. And so what I want you to do is I want you to get your notes out, follow along with me, and we're going to look at patience defined, we're going to look at patience illustrated, we're going to look at patience denied, and then patience cultivated. And so let's begin, first of all, with patience defined. Define. In the Word of God, um, there are about three words for patience. Uh, the first word in our text this morning, Galatians 5.22, is the Greek word makrothuma or makrothumia. And makrothumia comes from two Greek words, makro meaning long, and, and, and thymos, that means uh, breath or anger or, or passion. And so macrothumia means long anger, it means long passion, or it means a long breath. Now, now Paul's not saying that our anger should be long, or um, the fervency of our passion should be long. No, he's saying this, he's saying it should be a long time before you give into your anger. It should be a long time before you give into sinful passion. And I think we can all identify with this word picture, long breath. How many of y'all have ever done this? Um, Whenever you're just stressed out, you just go, (sighs) how many of y'all ever done that? I do it. I do it a lot. I do it a lot. Not because of you all. Um, Of course not. But I mean, mean, it's like, (sighs) and that is the word picture of macrothumia. But here's something interesting. Makrothumia in the New Testament is used and it's reserved for relationships. And it has more to do with love than anything else. And so makrothumia means long anger, a long time before you give in to sinful passion, and just long breath, and it has to do with relationships within the church. And it has to do with love more than anything. And that makes sense in context. The fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one? What's the first one, church? First one's love. It's love. And the second word for patience is hupomone. hupomone. I know y'all want to say that this morning. So say it out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Hoopamone. Hoopamone. just to uh, cut to the chase, deals more with situations and circumstances that, that we fall into and the Lord allows us to get into in our life. And hoopamone has more to do with hope. Because we know that the situations and circumstances that God puts us into, if we strive to persevere through them, seeking the mind and the hand of God, we know that will produce perseverance and that will produce hope and that will produce character and so forth and so on. And so whenever we are challenged in our macrothumia, and we seek the Lord in that, and we seek to to produce the fruit of the Spirit, what that does is it will grow us in our faith. It will grow us in our faith in God. Whenever our macrothumia is tested, and we stay faithful to the Lord, and we strive to produce the fruit of the Spirit, we will grow in the fruit of the Spirit of God. Am I making sense this morning? I'm making sense. But let let me just give you one qualification this morning. Even though we are tested in our hoopamone. Even though we are tested in our situations and circumstances, it doesn't give us the right to be impatient and to lash out at other people. No, whenever we are tested in our hoopamonia, our situations and our circumstances, we are still to show macrothumia to those around us. And so let me just bottom line it this morning. You put those two definitions together, you put those two Greek words together, and you can come up with a definition like this. No matter what comes your way, no matter who comes your way, let me repeat that again. No matter what comes your way, no matter who is coming down the hallway, or you receive a text or email from, we can maintain our gentleness, we can maintain our patience without lashing out. Amen? If we have the Spirit of God in us, we have the Word of God, Man, we, listen, we, we can, we can um, extend macrothumia to those that are just testing our patience. And we can, uh, we can have hoopamone in those situations, those pressure cooker situations that the Lord puts us in. And so that's the definition of patience. And with that, I want us to go to James chapter 5. And there, I just want to pick up on an illustration that James gives us of patience, this is a great illustration. Uh, james is the master illustrator. if you 've never read through the Book of James, you really need to read through the book of james and what James is doing, let me set it up before we read it. What James is doing he is teaching us the importance of patience, and again, James is is preaching he 's teaching he 's writing to a group of people who are probably being persecuted. We know that they are under the pressure cooker of trials in their life. And he is teaching them about patience. Be steadfast, be patient. And he gives us an illustration of a farmer having to wait for rain before he can plant his crops or gather his harvest. In James chapter 5, verse 7, listen to what James teaches us this morning. James writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate, and how he is merciful. Now, let me explain this illustration that he gives about the rains. In the Middle East, before the farmer could plant his crops, and before it would yield a harvest, he had to wait until after the autumn rains. That's the first rain. He had to wait to plant his crops after the autumn rains so that the soil would be moisturized, so the seed would germinate. And then, not only that, but, but the greatest temptation was he had to wait until after the spring rains to harvest. Am I making sense this morning? And so before he put the seed in the ground, he had to wait for that, for that ground, that soil, to be moist so germination the germination process would take place. And before he could go and harvest uh, his crop, he had to wait until after the spring rain so that that, that wheat would, would, be, would be swollen and it'd be ready to harvest. And the great temptation of the farmer was to jump ahead, was to get ahead of the autumn rains. And not only that, but I think the greater temptation for the farmer was whenever he was approaching the springtime, And maybe the rains were a little late and he would say to himself, well, the rains haven't come. They haven't come. They haven't come. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to cut my losses and I'm just going to go ahead and harvest what I have. And what nature was teaching that farmer and what the providence of God was teaching that farmer is just wait, be patient. Don't jump ahead. Don't get ahead of yourself. Now, in context, James is referring to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is still he still applies this he still applies this to us, the church, the children of God, because he is telling us to be patient, not only to be patient in the situation and in the circumstance that they are in, and they were under a lot of pressure, but he also says you need to also be patient to be macrothumia with each other with each other. And he says, rather than fussing and grumbling and fighting and all these other things, be patient with one another, be steadfast. And then he moves from an agrarian illustration, then he moves down to a biblical illustration. And he says, remember the prophets of the Lord. If if you're striving to be patient, remember the prophets of the Lord. And I tell you what, in our context, in our church, boy, I tell you what, my mind goes back to Habakkuk. I mean, Habakkuk wasn't 100% patient, but you see his patience, his hoopamone growing as you go through the book of Habakkuk. And then he says, remember Job, remember the patience of Job. Now, Job wasn't 100% patient. All you got to do is read the book of Job. I mean, sometimes Job got ahead of himself. But if you take the response of Job as a whole, he was a man who sought to be patient on the Lord. And so James is saying, rather than leaving macrothumia, leaving Hupamone, and following your fleshly passions, render compassion and render mercy and render patience one toward another. In the last two weeks, we've been in Philippians chapter 4, in verses 4 through around 8. But in Philippians chapter 4, in verses 4 and 5, The Apostle Paul almost says the exact same thing that James says. What does he say? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, come on, let's try that one more time. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say what? Rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentleness and your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And so what Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Find your joy in the Lord. And then he turns around, and it's almost odd that he puts this in this phrase. He says, and let your gentleness, let your moderation, or let your patience be known to man because the Lord is at hand. Those people that are giving you a hard time, those people that have wounded you, let the Lord take care of it. Let the Lord take care of it. Boy, isn't it, isn't it so easy to slip into vengeance, and revenge and just take matters into your own hand and send that email and give them the what for. How many emails have I typed up and I have deleted? A lot, a lot. Not to you all, not to, no, no, former church members, but anyway, um, (laughs) obviously not to you all, but, but, but I mean, and that's what Paul's saying, the Lord is coming. And we have to understand that he will take vengeance, that, that, that he will judge, and that we need to let the circumstances and situations, we need to give them over to the sovereignty of God. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be obedient. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take responsibility, but we put it into the hands of God. And every time I have done that as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, every time I have done that, man, things are so much better, aren't they? They're so much better. The problems may not go away. The people may not go away. The irritation may not go away. But I tell you what, folks, man, it's just a lot better for the child of God when we put it into God's hands. And so, let me just stop and let me just let me just say this before I, before I go on to close. Um, we really need this, um, and I know sometimes we come into the house of God and we're tired and sleepy and we're looking forward to that that noon meal and that noon nap of 4 or 5 hours I, I understand that but i just i just want us to just really think for a moment we really need this we are in a very stressful pensive time in our country's history i don't think it's the worst time we've ever been in as a country if you if you're a student of history But it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And if there is one thing that we need as the church, now I I can't speak for unbelievers. Unbelievers are going to act like unbelievers. Pagans are going to act like pagans. And so many times as Christians, we look at the world and we go, oh, look, look at what they're doing. Hey, folks, listen, no duh. I mean, they're going to do that. The Bible teaches us. But it doesn't have to be that way in the house of God. It doesn't have to be that way in the house of God. And in the house of God, we need to strive toward makrothumia. Amen? We need to strive toward loving each other and keeping our relationships healthy. We need to strive for hupomone. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and look, I, I'm, I'm guilty at just, at, just, at just popping off, just having a hair trigger. I'm guilty of that a lot. But And, and, and I'm just going to say this, and, and I think it needs to be said, and I need to apply this to my own life. We need to be very, very careful what we put on Facebook. And I, I, I've said that. I'm going to say it again. And look, I'm not on Facebook. I can't take it. I'm a sissy. I'm just not on it. I don't like for anybody to tell me what's on it. I am a sissy when it comes to Facebook. I can't take it. I don't have the intestinal fortitude. But I hear some things that people put on Facebook. And folks, it's just absolutely ungodly. And and it's not the fruit of the Spirit. And what we need to do, man, when it comes, and and listen, I'm not on Facebook, but I text. And I email people. And so it's not just the social, you know, app platforms. It's also texting and email and just one-on-one conversation with people. We need to strive toward macrothumia. And yes, even in our own families, we need to cultivate the practice of macrothumia. If there is ever one sphere of life where it's so easy to be impatient and rationalize that impatience, it's our family. It's our family. Man, you know what I'll do sometimes? I'm just being real. I'm being honest. You know why? It's because you all do the same exact thing. Man, you're coming to church, I mean, you're beating brains out, you're whipping tails, I mean, you're, you're just, I mean, you're, get in the car, get out of the car, and so when you step inside the church, it's like, praise God, brother. <laughs> yeah, am I right, Clay, am I right, can I, can I just get a witness from you, brother? I mean, you know, Dana, can I get a witness from you? I mean, it's, it, it's that way, why? It's because it's so easy, it's so easy to be impatient with our families, and to justify and rationalize it whenever we should be striving toward macrothumia. And boy, I need that this morning. I do. We need Hupamone and macrothumia when we're watching television. We need it especially in the church today. And and, and I know I'm hitting some pretty tender tender issues and they're tender issues to me as well. But you know what, folks? Today, churches are dividing over whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask. I mean, can, can we not be... Mature enough in Christ to say to somebody who wants to wear a mask, hey, you wear a mask, man. hey, no judgment. Can we not be mature enough as the children of God for somebody who doesn't wear a mask, say, hey, listen, if, if, that, if that's the way you roll, then that's the way you roll. Boy, it got really quiet on that one. And what James is telling us this morning, the rains will come. The rains will come. And we have to be patient. We have to be patient with others. We have to be patient with things that are in our lives. And the rain is going to come in at least three ways. And listen closely on this. Either the Lord's going to come and say, say, Aaron, do you think the Lord is coming soon? I don't know, but I know He's coming. The Lord is coming. Maybe maybe the rain will come when the Lord comes. And I do know this, that, that if, you, if you're a student of the Word and if you pray and you're striving to produce the fruit of the Spirit, the rain will come by God strengthening you and making you steadfast. And He will make you patient. And then maybe the rain will come. Now, here's a good one. I don't like this one. I don't like this one at all, but here's a good one. And, and, I, and, and I had this down. I marked it out, and then I put it back because I didn't want to feel uncomfortable this morning. So here it is. The rain might come by God changing you rather than changing the other person. The rain might come by God changing you rather than changing your situation. Let's go back to Habakkuk. God said, this is going to happen, Habakkuk. It's going to happen. And so what did Habakkuk do? In that last part of that that great prophetic book, he just praises God. He says, God, even if, even if, I'm going to praise you. He changed Habakkuk's heart. And so the rain may not come the way you want it to, but it will come. But James is telling us, don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. You know, back in the the, uh, late 90s, um, I went to, to church with Jill uh, Wells in the, the early 90s uh, before we were married. And she went to a, a Christ community in Franklin, Tennessee. And Scotty Smith, Scotty Smith is a great teacher. And I remember him saying this, and I'll never forget it. It's one of those profound statements that just sticks with you. He said, you know what, we need to ask God for bread. But whenever we ask God for bread, you know what he might do? He might give us a bakery full of bread. Or you know what he might do? He might give us you know a field and a tractor and say, there's your bread. Or God may give you some uh, the wheat seed and he may give you a garden hoe and he said, there's your bread. And so friends, the rain's going to come. It may not come the way you want it to, but we need to be patient. Two more points and I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow through this next point real quick. Patience denied. A lot of times we, we look at patience Um, And we confuse it with indifference. That is the fake fruit of impatience. And let me just say this. I'm going to move on real quickly. Um, Indifference is basically sophisticated apathy. And indifference uh, manifests itself in phrases like, well, I just really don't care. I just really don't care. Or like, whatever. Whatever. I know y'all never said that to your parents, right? Whatever. And so whenever we, whenever we have an attitude like that, whenever we have that mindset, that's indifference. And that's not patience. Well, whatever. No, that's fake fruit. That's fake fruit. Someone asked me uh, this past week, Aaron, how can I tell the difference between fake fruit and the real fruit of the Spirit? And, 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 my, and my simple answer, it's a simple answer, I understand that. But my simple answer is this. Is your attitude enhancing the other fruit of the Spirit. And, 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 and when you answer that question, you will be able to discern whether you're producing fake fruit or the real fruit. Is my attitude, is my mindset, is my response toward other people, is it enhancing the other fruit of the Spirit? Is it producing love? Is it producing joy? Is it producing patience? Is it producing peace, long-suffering, gentleness, you know, and self-control? Is it producing those things? And then it's obvious that the rotted fruit is selfish anger. It's selfish anger. I'm not getting my way. I want my way. I'm going to get it now. I want it now. God, I am wiser than you. My timetable is better than your timetable. So Lord, I am going to go ahead and do X, Y, Z, whatever. And I've said this before, and I've given it as an illustration before, and, 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 and really what that is, is it's, it's, it's us being little Veruca Salt. Do you know who Veruca Salt was? Y'all are like speaking in tongues or something. I can't understand y'all. I mean, it, it's, it's Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Veruca Salt. Remember Veruca Salt? What did Veruca Salt want? Okay, she wanted two things. All right, in, in the best Willy Wonka, in the original, she wanted what? An, an Oompa Loompa. She wanted one of those little short dudes. She wanted an Oompa Loompa. In the new one, she wants a squirrel. Y'all say that with me squirrel. She wanted a squirrel. Daddy, give me a squirrel. And, and, and she is the most irritating. I, I, can, I can take the, the little, the blueberry girl. I can take her. I can take Mike TV. I can take all of them. Man, but Veruca Salt is so irritating because of her selfish anger. I want it and I want it now. And we act like her more than we dare admit, don't we? That's selfish anger. And a lot of times we just think it's us wanting what we want. But dig a little bit deeper. Dig a little bit deeper. Let the Holy Spirit do the deep scan. And then lastly, I just want to close with this. How do we cultivate patience? This is real simple, but it helps me. How do we cultivate patience? Number one, we really need to remember, remember how patient God was and is and shall be to us. And in your sermon notes, if you got them up, I put, remember God that was very, 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 very patient with us. And every day, every day, we test God's patience. And I don't know about you, but man, for me, I think every hour, Pastor Clay, I test God's patience. Every day we test God's patience, but he is a patient God. He was a long-suffering God. Just go and read the Old Testament, especially Jacob. What a long-suffering God. And not only that, but let's just take a deep, deep, deep look into our lives and see our sinfulness and how much we test God and how much we are impatient with God and how much He puts up with us. And we will see that God is very, 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 very patient with us. And so whenever you get into that checkout line, You're at the 10-item checkout line. You know what I'm talking about? And you've counted the other person's items, and they got 11, and you got eight. And man, you're just getting ready to blow your stack. Man, I'm getting ready to blow my stack. You got 11, and y'all know you do it. When you get in that line, when you get behind that car, when you get, I mean, when you're on the edge, you're a millimeter from road rage. Remember this, that Jesus took the nails for you. And in whatever situation you're in, you don't have to take the nails. You don't have to take the sin. Whenever your children are acting like lower primates, just remember, you didn't have to take the crown of thorns. He took the crown of thorns for you. And whenever your spouse sins, and whenever your, spout, when whenever your spouse does not rise to your expectations, whenever they don't do what you want them to do, just remember this. Jesus took the wrath of God. You did not have to take the wrath of God. And when you remember these things, and you say, that is so simple, Aaron, I'd reject that. No, but when you remember these things, how God was patient with you, So much so that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cruel criminal's cross for us. He died of basically suffocation. It was a horrible death. I mean, whenever you think about that, whenever you are behind somebody and you're getting ready just to lay on that horn and then give them the international sign of displeasure, before you do that, just remember how patient God has been with you. And the last thing, remember the majesty of God. Remember the sovereignty, the providence of God. He is much wiser. He is much more loving. He is more smarter. He is, you know, more intellectual than, than you are. Um, several years ago, well, many years ago, I, I met with a, a seminary president. And um, And I traveled four hours to meet with the seminary president. And it was before I went to Duke University, I just wanted to give some advice from him. And uh, because I kind of knew what I was walking into, but I just wanted to give some advice and and, um, I wanted to run some things by him. So I drove four hours to meet with the seminary president and talk about their programs. And, and I went in, and I sat down, and the secretary said, it will be just a moment. Well, that one moment turned into an hour. And I remember she kept saying, it'll be just one moment. It'll, just, it'll be one more moment. It'll be a couple more minutes. And you know what? I said, oh, don't worry about it. It's no problem. It's, it's okay. It's all right. I got all day. I mean, oh, it's fine. Bless his heart. I'm so sorry that his schedule is, is I, it's okay. Look at me. Do I look like I'm starving? Do I, I, mean, I mean, it's okay. And then when I went into the seminary president's office, and I know I'm sensational a bit. I mean, he was like, he apologized. I said, man, man, listen, I just appreciate you meeting with me. It was no problem being out in the waiting room, man. It was no problem at all. I just got a six-hour trip back home. It's just no problem at all. No big deal. Do you know why we have that attitude? When we meet with important people, is because we are delighted that they would even see us. We are delighted that they even have us on their schedule. I mean, we look up to them so much, man, you know, we, we understand that they are very busy people and, and, we, and we, we're going to get right in line with their timeline and, and it's no problem. And so here it is. Every time you have to wait, And every time things are out of control, it's God. He's allowing that. And so if I'll sit there and I'll wait for a seminary president for a solid hour, isn't God important enough? Are are you with me this morning? Isn't God important enough? Isn't he more wise than a president of some southern Bible seminary? Yes. Isn't his will better for us than some important person? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no limit. And so if these are the things of the Spirit and there is no limit, then let's be about it. Let's be about it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, before we leave this morning, what I'd like for us to do is I would like for us to pray for our country. And I, I mean that we, we say that a lot in church, but, but really, we really need to pray for our country. Um, my prayer, my first prayer is not about the virus or anything else that's going on. My first prayer is that is that the church would come back to God. One of our shut-ins, I called them this, this past week, and I just asked what if they were doing okay, and, and she asked me, she said, Aaron, what do you think God is teaching us in all this? And I said, well, I said, really, what God's teaching us is He wants His girl to come back to Him. He wants His bride to come back to her first love. And so before, you know, I agree with Tony Evans, before we can pray for the White House, we, we need to straighten up the church house. And so I pray that the Lord will send revival to our church. Uh, we got a great church, folks. Amen. we got a great church. And I love our church. We're at peace. We're at unity as far as I know. I'm the last one to hear things, but that's, that's you know, that's my takeaway. <laughs> but, but I pray for a deeper revival, a deeper spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that God, through the church house and through God's people, will send revival to our nation. And then after that, I pray that the God will just you know, eradicate this virus. But we need to understand that we're in this for a reason. And isn't it interesting? And I've said this before, and y'all know. No one knows what to do. I mean, we can make our best guess, but it's just baffling people. What do we do? And 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 my my prayer is, Lord, eradicate it. But. At the same time, we have to pray like Habakkuk, Lord, even if, even, even if, Lord, what are you trying to teach us? I know what the Lord's trying to teach me, Hupamone, Develop that patience that produces hope and perseverance in all situations. And man, we, we all can agree that, that we, we need makrothumia one with another in our country. And I've said it before, we can bear our head all day long if we want to, but, you know, there, there is racial tension, and um, it, it's, it's bad. And we need to pray. Folks, listen. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And whenever you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the biblical prescription for any animosity, in between people in the church, racial. It's to love your neighbor. It's to love them. And I didn't write it. Jesus wrote it. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to preach the gospel one to another. We need to get out in the Word and preach the gospel one to another. And any time we have a chance, I'm getting ready to leave on vacation um, after Chuck Bolt's funeral this afternoon. and, And man, I've got me a stack of tracks. You know, People say, you shouldn't pass out tracts. I don't care. I pass them out anyway. Any way we can get the word of God out to people is good if we do it in love. And man, every chance I get, every chance I get, I'm going to try to speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Don't just talk about it in theory. Don't just say we ought to do this, we ought to do that. Get out and practice it. Amen? Don't be only hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Let it change you. Be doers of the word, and so I pray that for our church. I pray that for our nation. And um, and oh, oh, by the way, did y'all know that we have a presidential election coming up in about four months? Hey, man, look, folks. I I, I hope it's not this way, but it, it's go, it's going to get rough. It's going to get rough. And boy, I, if the church ever needs macrothumia, Lord, give it to us now. Give it to us in bucketfuls. Let the river of macrothumia just just saturate our church. So why don't we stand and let's pray and then we will close with a song. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise that we can meet and worship together in freedom. We thank you for our country. Um, Lord, we're not perfect, absolutely not perfect by any means, but we we do thank you for the freedom of our country. And Lord God, I pray that you'll bring our country to revival. And Lord, you're going to do that through the heart of every individual Christian. And Lord, in doing that, Lord, you'll bring it to the church house, And Lord, in then doing that, you'll bring it to the country. Lord, we pray for revival. Lord, we pray that people will repent of their sin, that they will confess their sin, and they will be reconciled with you. And in doing so, Lord, I pray that we'll be reconciled one to another. Lord, we pray against this virus. Lord God, I pray that you would just burn it out, eradicate it, But Lord, if that is not your will, if that is not your providence, Lord, I pray that we'll all embrace that mindset even if, even if we're still going to follow you, Lord. We're still going to have faith in you. We're still going to strive to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord God, I pray for racial reconciliation in our country. Lord, you have made us ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we are new creatures in you, because we are being made new through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, Lord God, I pray that we will be active ministers of reconciliation. And so, Lord, I pray that you will have mercy on us as a nation. And Lord, you have blessed our nation and Lord, I pray that we'll turn around. And I pray we'll bless you. Lord, I pray that we will seek your face. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. And only in Jesus' name we pray these things and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.